Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Hey, Frisco fan. I've done my very best to be very empathetic towards you. Hey, Frisco fan. You've been awfully quiet this week, honestly. So let me ask you this. Are you feeling any better this a.m.? Because I'm not so sure your head coach is feeling any better yet. And I know you're all probably tired of hearing about and talking about and arguing about the end of the Super Bowl. A Frisco fan, guess what? A Frisco fan. Too bad. That's what happens when you play in the Super Bowl. People talk about the Super Bowl. Guess what? And believe me, that guy, the guess what guy, that guy, he knows all about the Super Bowl. He knows about the ones that he won, and most of all, he knows about the one that he didn't win. Romo can tell you that. Get good or get gone. This, By the way, we didn't see Romo this year, did we? Damn, that just hit me. I missed the Romos. Anyway, this is what happens when you play in the Super Bowl. People talk about the Super Bowl. And then you wear the result of that game forever. That's the deal. That's how that works. Especially when the Super Bowl goes to overtime and the losing team walks off the field admitting that they did not know the overtime rules. And then the losing team's head coach seems to give away in an interview that he wasn't clear on the rules himself. And then that same head coach goes to the podium a little later on and seems to change his tune and starts talking about wanting the ball for a third OT possession when he's playing Patrick Mahomes, who you know is going to end it after the second possession, rendering the third one meaningless. When all of that happens, and that's the end of a Super Bowl, People are going to talk about it. That's why I'm still talking about it Wednesday. That's why they were still being asked about it yesterday. People are going to talk about this. And I don't mean for a few days or a week or a month. I mean essentially forever. This is the kind of bleep that reputations are built on, especially if the coach who presided over all that chaos already had a reputation as a dude who can't win the big one. The most talented coach in the NFL who can't win the big one had players confused about the rules in OT and may or may not have been confused about the rules himself. And yet people want to call that a nothing burger. If there was ever a something burger, this is it. And it's going to stick to Kyle Jr. Lobster Shanahan like an actual In-N-Out 4x4 or a bacon double cheeseburger sticks to my ass. Mm. Let me ask you something, Frisco fan. Hey, Frisco. No, I'm serious, Frisco fan. Do you see this as a nothing burger? Are you satisfied with Shanahan's explanation yesterday of what happened? Or Frisco fan, be real. I mean, be real. Are you pissed? Because if you are, I don't blame you. I would be too. Here was Shanahan's answer from yesterday to the question of what exactly he did to prep the team for that overtime situation. 
we did say, and we told everyone as we were waiting for the coin toss, hey, review everyone with them, make sure they're sure before we go out. So we asked the position coach to do that, but no, I didn't cover it in a meeting on the Super Bowl week. I don't think that changes anything. Um, we did it with our analytics department. We decided that going into the playoffs. I, I mean, how many different sides out of his mouth is he talking there? You, you discussed it during the coin toss? Because the Chiefs, the Chiefs were talking about it during training camp. They were drilling it way back in training camp. But you got around to discussing it with your players during the coin toss. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, you're not exactly clarifying anything right there, my guy. But to cut through the word salad, I think the main point I heard was, no, I didn't cover it in a meeting on the Super Bowl week. End of quote. Which to me sounds about right considering your team seemed to have no idea what was going on. Whatever was decided, allegedly, like on the one hand saying, yeah, we talked to the guys during the coin toss, but we discussed it with the analytics department heading into the postseason. Even if that's true, somehow you never shared what you discussed with the team. And like I said yesterday, that's kind of shocking because we all know this particular coach is detail-oriented. He's all about the preparation. Yet somehow his team wasn't fully prepared for that situation? You know, the overtime in the Super Bowl situation. A pretty freaking important situation. A situation that, again, Kansas City says it started preparing for way back in training camp. And the only thing more unbelievable than not knowing the rule is saying that it doesn't matter if we knew the rule or not. Unbelievable. Which is what some Niner players are, in fact, saying. They are. They're admitting, you know, we didn't know the rule. We didn't know the rule. And then they're chasing it with, but what does it matter? What does it matter if we did or didn't? It doesn't. Like, I can't believe I even have to explain that knowing the rules of the game that you're playing, in fact, actually does matter. It does. You know why it matters? Because it dictates strategy. This is like sports 101, people. This is like games for dummies. This is day one stuff. Understanding the rules of the game dictates your strategy and your decisions. For instance, if Kyle says he came up with his OT strategy with the analytics department before the postseason, he just didn't share it with his team for some reason. I don't know why. But once again, if you listen to what he actually said when he walked off the field, he was singing a very different tune. Here is what he told Evan Washburn before he hit the post-game podium with that other spin. Here was the immediate reaction after the game. Love to score a touchdown there at the end. Not get Pat another chance. Had our opportunity to get him off the field on fourth down. We didn't. Um, Pat's done that a bunch. Uh, he does it almost all the time. So uh, it was a hard battle, hard, hard fought game. Um, went a lot like we thought it would go. Had our chances there and didn't get it done. All right, so the problem with the answer is, obviously is that's not how that rule works. If, if, if Kyle thought that he could take the ball and score and win and keep the ball away from Patrick, 
then obviously that would be why he took the ball first, right? Love to score a touchdown there at the end. Not get Pat another chance. Stop right there. Full stop. Score a touchdown right there and not give Pat another chance. That's, and if that's why he took the ball, that's why the rule matters because that's not what the rule is. Because just scoring a touchdown there would not have been a win. But like I said yesterday, they would have thought so if they didn't know the rule. And then they would have ran onto the field and thrown their helmets up in the air and waited for the confetti to come down and celebrated like they won the Super Bowl. And it would have been the most hilarious thing ever. Their families coming onto the field, guys crying, lying on the ground, hugging on each other. But again, some of them, and no less an authority than the Harvard man himself, a guy that I love, I love, Cal Juszczyk, he owned it. He admitted, we didn't know the rules. I didn't know the rule. But then he asked, and I quote, quote, why does it effing matter? End of quote. Why does knowing the rules matter? That's a serious, actual question from a Harvard man. Again, the rule matters because if you know scoring a touchdown does not knock the other team out, maybe you defer. So that way you get to see what that team does, and then you know what you have to do. KC knew that, which is why they were going to defer if they won the toss. Because they actually knew the rule. That's why the rule matters. It affects your strategy. Are we really sitting here discussing whether or not the rule matters and knowing the rule? Look, I'm not trying to find a reason to go at any of these dudes. And there are a ton of reasons why Frisco blew that game. That have nothing to do with overtime. Or Kyle Shanahan for that matter. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Just for the record, I'm well aware Junior Lobster did not fumble on the opening drive. Junior Lobster did not muff a punt. Junior Lobster did not miss a point after. I know all that. But here's what else I know. Winning a Super Bowl and toppling a dynasty and beating Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes is all about executing and the margins and being extremely detail-oriented. And the Chiefs, as always, were on the deets. That's one of Big Red's biggest strengths. He's like the most detail-oriented dude ever. Hell, they were bragging after the game about how they had prepped for that very scenario. You know, the one that pretty much decided the game. The Niners were all saying the exact opposite. And to tell me that it doesn't matter makes no sense whatsoever. When all that matters is you lose or you win the big one. And they lost it again, which brings us to the narrative. The narrative. The narrative that they can't win the big one. Shanahan also addressed that yesterday, 
And in addressing that yesterday, he once again began talking out of both sides of his mouth. These two Super Bowls have been tough losing to Kansas City. Um, but to think that if if we win that, that means I can win a big game. No, that means our team won the Super Bowl. Um, that's what that's what I understand. You guys can have any narrative you want, but like the success or the failure, uh, it comes down to one game. And I hope that I can be a part of a team that wins a game at the end of the year. But to say that the Niners can't win a big game would be an extremely inaccurate statement. Uh, once again, huh? What? My dude, nobody's saying that the Niners can't win a big game. They're saying that you can't win the big game. And that's not an inaccurate statement. That's a fact. I mean, you said it yourself. You said success or failure comes down to one game. But then you chase that by saying, hey, we've won a lot of big games. And to say otherwise is inaccurate. Kyle, which one is it? Which one is it? Success or failure comes down to one game. But we've won a lot of big games. So don't say that we can't win a big game. My man, what they're saying is you can't win the big game. Not you can't win a big game. Here's the question. Can you get over the Super Bowl hump? And the question is going to be around until, wait for it, you get over the Super Bowl hump. Win that game, period. There's no way around it. Now, that doesn't mean the narrative can't be changed. Case in point, Andy Reid. He changed the exact narrative. I'm not saying it's too late for Kyle Shanahan. I'm not saying anybody should give up on this guy. I'm not saying that he can't. I'm saying the question's fair. And the question is going to be there until they win that big big game. I just don't want to hear that the lack of preparation at the end of a Super Bowl against Mahomes and the Chiefs doesn't matter. I don't want to hear not knowing the rules doesn't matter. And I don't want to hear complaints about the can't win the big one narrative because he has been a part of losing it three times in really questionable manners. I mean, if you think the narrative is jacked, if you think that narrative is jacked, there's only one way to change it. You got to win that game. It's always going to be there. I guess what I'm saying is, Frisco fan, you drill for every possible scenario. So how did you not prepare for one as significant as this one? But you tell me, Frisco fan, are you good with it? Are you fine with it? Do you accept all that? Do you accept his explanation? Do you accept the players not knowing? And do you accept the players saying, yeah, we didn't know, but it doesn't matter. It mattered to KC. It mattered so much that they started to work it in training camp. The whole thing is pretty sketch. Pretty sus, if you ask me. Pretty sus. Because here we are midweek still talking about it after you lost. But, but Frisco fan, I'm really curious. I want your thoughts. So, quick question. Why is Old Trapper Beef Jerky so amazing? Let's start with the fact that it is a family-run business. A family business which stands by quality and produces the world's best beef jerky. Now, I've made this point many, many times, and I want to make it again right now. Beef jerky is not just beef jerky. I think some of you go to the store, and you reach for the beef jerky, and you think it's all the same. In fact, you might not even know what you're buying. That's a big mistake. Stop making that mistake. All beef jerky is not the same. In fact, there's nothing like Old Trapper. 
It is simply the best. Four mouth-watering flavors, so you can get your choice of whatever you want. Myself, I like them all the same. I bounce back and forth between each and every one of them. So you can do the same thing. They come in four-ounce bags. If you need to learn, do it that way. If you already know what you want, go with the 18-ouncer. That way there's enough for everybody, the entire unit, the entire family, the entire team. If you do not see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what is your beef? Of course, I'm talking about Tom Pelissero. Tom, always great to have you on the show. Thanks for making time. Tom, how are you? I'm doing good, Jim. Uh, apologies if my voice goes out at any point. I'm still recovering from a week of the Super Bowl in Vegas. So I got no complaints other than the fact that I haven't been able to talk for three days. Oh, man, I know. I, we're, we're all like that. Preach. You're preaching in the choir. I totally understand. I was there, too. <laughs> and, and probably you're as tired of this as everybody else, but you and I have not talked about this, so let me just try and pare this down as quickly as possible. I'm not saying this is why the Niners lost, but Kyle Shanahan did address this yesterday in kind of an intriguing manner. Where do you come out on this? Where do you come out on 49er players admitting that they did not know the overtime rules for the postseason, but even a Harvard man like Kyle Juszczyk saying, yeah, I didn't know the rule, but it doesn't effing matter. Is that not a bad look for the players? And if it's not a bad look for the players, then in fact, is it not reflective of the head coach? Where do you come out on that? And again, I'm not saying that's why they lost. I'm just saying it's kind of unfathomable to me. I mean, I can go back and and wonder if at some point during training camp, sometime during one of those install meetings where maybe you're not entirely remembering things from five months ago, I have to think at some point the rules, which, by the way, were not new this year. At some point, if you, you listen to the Jim Rome show, you turn on ESPN, you show up, you're on social media, somewhere along the line, you should know – both teams get a possession. Now, I would say this. I mean, I was in a in a green room during the fourth quarter. So I'd come down from the press box, and we were all sitting there wondering, okay, this whole the clock's running down towards zeros thing with this rule, where do we land? And one of our research guys was like, no, 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 no. Even though it's, it's the second drive, so we keep going. Like, there was even confusion among us about that aspect of it. Like, the both teams get possession. I think that that's well established at this point. The timing was the part that even I was not 100% confident that I was correctly uh, understanding it. You know, in terms of the strategy, and I know that, you know, there were a bunch of Chiefs players saying that they had had that explained to them through the course of the week. I, I imagine, you know, Kyle's a very smart guy. He thinks there are a lot of things in his own head. Maybe somewhere down the line, that's an adjustment he might make of, hey, you know, come to the players with this stuff, but what we might do. But I also understand you're going into the biggest game of a lot of people's lives here. Are you really going to clutter their mind during the week with, here's what happens if we go to overtime? No, screw that. Go out and win by 20. Why, why would we need to talk about it? You know, we, we can definitely debate the, the strategy of it. You never want to hear – you know, players giving what I would call the Donovan McNabb and claiming that they didn't know what the rules were. You never want to hear that. But in terms of strategy, it's not like you have, you know, a longitudinal data set here where you're going, well, these hundred teams did it this way and a hundred did it that way. No, this is all new for everybody. And in the moment, watching that game, they win the toss. In my mind, I agreed with Kyle Shanahan. I know it didn't work out, but your defense is gassed. Your offense is the strength of your football team. Go down, score the touchdown, and put all the pressure on a Chiefs offense that hadn't looked their best through the course of that game. It didn't work out. Never bet against Patrick Mahomes when it comes down to a last-second drive. Andy Reid and Mahomes are 
You know, right now, they've created a dynasty, and they deserve every bit of it. We are talking to Tom Pelissero. All right, so let me move along. What about the Chiefs? I spoke to former Chiefs offensive lineman Mitchell Schwartz yesterday. He talked about what it was like, Tom, to go against Chris Jones in practice. He says he's never played against somebody who's had Jones's blend of strength, speed, and football IQ. Everybody knows how disruptive this guy is on the field, but are the Chiefs going to be willing to give him the kind of money that, say, the Niners gave Nick Bosa in September? Well, I mean, that's the big question, which is, you know, Bosa and these edge guys are the ones that have gotten paid at the top of the market, but so is Aaron Donald. Now, that was a weird deal where they gave Donald, I think it was about $31 million a year on a short-term extension because the alternative was he was legit going to retire, and they made it worth his while to come back with Chris Jones you know, he, he's not a young guy, but by defensive tackle standards, he's not an old guy either. I mean, he turns 30 before next season. Guys at that position can well play into their, you know, early 30s, mid-30s. And if you watch Chris Jones and you watch Andy Reid, you know, flopping on him at the end of the game, you can tell what he means to that team. Uh, Chris Jones and his agents, um, you know, who last year, you know, this past season, week one, they're sitting in the – in the press box, while everybody's speculating on, are these guys security? No, that's the Cats brothers. Those are his agents. There's no reason they shouldn't sit here and go, you dared him to prove it. He went out and proved it. We want $30 million a year. And if you don't get it, you know, that second franchise tag would be a pretty massive number. That doesn't preclude them from potentially using it. I find it hard to believe the Chiefs are going to let Chris Jones out. But on the flip side of that, Brett Beach, the general manager, uh, is always thinking a couple steps ahead here. I mean, two years ago, people would have said, you're nuts to let Tyree Kill go. It's one of the dynamic weapons in the league, and he still is. But the way that Veach was thinking at, about it at that time was, I can get multiple premium draft picks and clear up $25 million a year that I can invest on the other side of the ball. And I can get three players that can be impactful. I wonder if some of the same math now applies to Chris Jones. You've won two two Super Bowls in a row. You've won three in the last five years. You don't have the pressure on you that some other general managers do. You've kind of earned the right, if you're Veach and Andy Reid, to say, you know, there is a price where it becomes too high. Having said that, again, I would not be surprised at all if a second franchise tag is in play for Chris Jones because you potentially could tag him and trade him this time around. Those deals are complicated to do. But letting a guy who's that impactful walk because you're not willing to get to $30 million a year that, to me, seems far-fetched. Tom Pelissero joining us. You know, In terms of Brad Veach, I talked to Nick Casario last week when I was in Vegas, and he said effectively the same thing about Veach that you just said. Tom, what about Kirk Cousins? He's also heading into free agency. He's coming off that Achilles injury that he suffered in October. You're based in Minnesota. You've covered the Vikings for years. What does the market look like for Kirk at age 35 coming off that injury? Well, let's start with this, Jim. The Vikings do want to re-sign Kirk Cousins. However, there is going to be, I anticipate, a strong market out there for Cousins because you can go down the list of the league right now and you can find somewhere between 10, 12, maybe more teams than that that don't have a clear answer and that Kirk Cousins would qualify as an upgrade on. Now, it's not to say he's going to have 10, 12 teams in the mix. You know, Tom Brady becomes available and there's really two teams that were in the mix for him years ago. So it's got to be targeted if you're going to spend that type of money on a veteran player, Cousins, I believe, will be 36 before uh, the start of next season. The Achilles shouldn't be a huge factor. He's My understanding is I think he's going to be thrown by next week, so he's ahead of schedule where they would anticipate that he's been. He's never had an injury history. He has never missed games. Um, you know, he's a specific type of quarterback, and if you're running a Shanahan-McVay-style offense and you prioritize 
quick processing, get the ball out of your hand quickly, um, be automatic on those reads, he can be a very good fit uh, for your system. So, you know, the Vikings are in a unique spot here. Just think about this, Jim. They've got probably the, maybe the two biggest free agents, the two guys who get paid the most in Kirk Cousins and Daniil Hunter, and they can't tag either one of them. Hunter has a no-tag clause, and Cousins, who's already been tagged twice, so this is largely moot. The third tag would be an astronomical number, but they, his contract voids after the tag window closes. So you can't tag either of the top free agents going into this year. On top of that, you have Justin Jefferson, who's going to be looking at $30 million plus per year on his own contract extension, and he's going to want to know what is your quarterback plan before he is willing to sign anything. So you've got three players who are all going to get quite possibly $30 million plus. I can't think of another team that's been in that type of a spot. Jefferson's not a free agent, obviously. He's got another year. He got tags on top of it. You got a ways uh, that you can go here. But with Jefferson, you're also running the risk of if you're going into year five with the guy, okay, at some point he's going to say, I'm not showing up and I'm going to eat the fines and I'm going to wait. Jefferson's such a good kid. He really is that, you know, he played out last year at a pretty low number. That's not going to go on forever. So you have all these interconnected parts, which brings us back to the Kirk Cousins market. I do believe if you look around at an Atlanta, at maybe a Denver, though they got to figure out some things with Russell Wilson, there's going to be other teams that are looking at this and saying, we got a really unique spot. If we think over the next couple of years we can win, Kirk Cousins can be that guy who gets us over the hump. At some point there becomes that number that's too high for the Vikings, at which point my anticipation, nothing's done yet, but my anticipation would be they would look for an economical type of veteran, a guy like Sam Darnold, who was the 49ers backup this year, somebody who can bridge you to a young quarterback, and then maybe they're drafting a rookie, whether that's in round one or round two of the draft. They've got some really interesting decisions to make in Minnesota, but one way or another, Kirk Cousins, there's every reason to believe that barring a massive contract for Baker Mayfield, which is possible because he played really well last year, Kirk Cousins probably once again is going to be the highest paid player in free agency. Really interesting scenario that you lay out. In fact, Tom, what about that? I saw Baker Mayfield also last week. Do you think that he's going to get a massive contract? Here's what one general manager said to me, and I think that this is what you kind of got to think about. There are no mid-level quarterback contracts right now. If you look down the list, there's almost nobody who's making in between $35 million a year or $30 million, wherever Jared Goff is, right in there, and like 10. And so for Baker Mayfield, all of a sudden, he's getting pushed up into that upper echelon. I'm not saying that he's going to get $50 million per year, but he quite possibly, based on what he did last year, becomes a $40 million per year player. And then throw on top of that, I think everybody's already writing this, that, you know, this is getting done with the Bucks and he's going back and they hired a guy who knows him. Well, who else hired a quarter, uh, a uh, offensive coordinator that Baker Mayfield knows? The division rival Falcons just hired Zach Robinson. He spent the exact same amount of time with Baker Mayfield that Liam Cohen did out in L.A. at the tail end of that season a couple of years ago. Could the Falcons, who also have a quarterback need, at minimum make a play for Baker Mayfield that drives up the price? I think there's something to be said for Baker with all of the transition from Cleveland to the Panthers to L.A. to Tampa. Maybe he just wants to be in one spot, and I would 100% get that. But just from a, a money angle, there's not many starting caliber quarterbacks, Jim, that are available in free agency. It's really it's Cousins, it's Mayfield, then you can kind of argue over what is Tannehill at this point, what is Flacco at this point, and then you got a bunch of those kind of bridge guys, you know, the Minshews and the Darnolds, 
Jameis is a free agent again. Mason Rudolph's a free agent. Wentz will be out there. Brissett will be out there. You know, if you're going to go and get a dude to start right now, you're going to have to pay. I, I do think Baker Mayfield's going to get paid. He's sure not signing for $5 million like he did last year. I mean, he's earned it. It's just a matter of does he become that rare mid-level quarterback that's getting like $20 million, or does he get pushed closer to forty? Put me, put me in line for the uh, the latter of those. Oh scenarios. no, I think so too, and I think you described him perfectly. He is a dude. That guy's a dude, and I sat with him, and you know, you feel that vibe, and you see why guys love him. First of all, Tom, really heroic effort by you today. You sound great. One last thing, if you can hang in there, I got to ask you. Jerry Jones hired Mike Zimmer to come in and fix his defense. Should Mike McCarthy struggle early or implode late? Do you think that Jones believes he's got a coach in waiting in Zimmer, or do you think that he would have a greater interest in Bill Belichick? Well, first of all, Jim, I just want to check. Did anybody tell Rex Ryan yet that he did not get the job? I just want to make sure before we proceed here that Rex is 100% aware now. I don't know that he knows. Not, yeah, not I don't know. the defensive coordinator. They had to work out some contract things. Zim's there. I don't think it's so much a coach and waiting thing because this is Mike McCarthy's guy. Mike McCarthy, and I remember talking, I've known Mike forever, you know, going all the way back to when I was at the Green Bay Press Gazette like 15, 20 years ago. And Mike would always speak so highly of Zimmer, how hard he was to go against, what an upstanding guy he thought he was. So when Zim, you know, became available, obviously he's been out for the last couple of years, but Zim called me up a couple months ago. He was just saying like, hey, I want to I get back in. Like, you know, I, I want to – you know, I, I've been studying the tape of all these different teams. I'm doing, you know, different research on schemes. I'm studying analytics. Like, I want to go. And so, you know, he was in the right mindset. And so then, you know, when McCarthy was looking around, Zimmer was the the logical guy. He had what I was told was an excellent interview with the Cowboys. Uh, he is absolutely – I've known Zim a long time, too. He is mentally and physically refreshed. You remember everything that he went through toward the tail end there with, you know, all the eye surgeries. His son tragically passed away uh, a couple of years ago. Um, you know, Zim is, is ready to do this thing, and he's going to come in there. I know he's 67, but he doesn't look 67, doesn't sound 67. He wants to go in there and kick everybody's ass and be a head coach again somewhere in 2025. But this is not a, you know, Jerry making this move. This is the guy Mike McCarthy absolutely wanted to be the D.C. It's a big year for everybody. There's no doubt about that. Everybody involved knows that. But when you look at the level of talent, that they've got on both sides of the football. And you get back at Trayvon Diggs, which is going to be a big deal for them. It's a Cowboys team. I know we always say this, Jim, but it's a Cowboys team that should be absolutely a Super Bowl contender right now. And I also thought this was interesting. When I interviewed Emmett Smith on NFL Network at the Super Bowl, and it happened to be, just based on scheduling, the morning after Zim had agreed to terms, days before Rex was notified, but after Zim had already agreed that he was coming on board, I asked Emmett about it because Emmett was there the last time Zimmer was the Cowboys defensive coordinator back in the early 2000s, and he said Zimmer is old school, and this team needs some old school. What he meant was it's great to have this very positive culture that Mike McCarthy has built. It is very player-centric. But maybe on some way, and Dan Quinn did a phenomenal job there. She's taking nothing away from DQ. But DQ's all the positive reinforcement. It's all positive. Zim's going to chew your ass. He's going to jump you every now and then. What Emmett was saying was maybe this group needs a little bit of that in the building. I think it's going to be a different dynamic there. 
I think he can be really productive. I am excited to see the 2024 Cowboys. Uh, I, I love Zim. I love Zim, and I'll be excited to see them if he can figure out how to stop the run and take advantage of what Micah does best. But I think that's what that guy does. That's why you bring him in and to kick some ass. 100%. He is an NFL Network insider, and Tom, I feel you. I know what it's like to be there and work those hours and come back and show up and do a show that's not your own show. So I really appreciate you, man. Great job. Great job. Appreciate hey, that, Tom. Less than a month away from free agency, man. The voice will be back. I'll be ready to roll by then. Don't no worry. doubt. No, you are. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved for only a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everybody feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. So, conspiracy guys having himself a week. For real. In fact, times have never been better for a conspiracy guy. And conspiracy guy has never been louder about it than right now. Or so well represented in the NFL world. Seriously. It's like you kooks run everything now. Even though you never have any actual evidence or anything real or tangible to back up any of your more and more whack, over-the-top, totally unfathomable takes and or theories. Kook. No. Of course the Super Bowl was not fixed. No. There is not some conspiracy to crown the Chiefs. No. The league did not set up Taylor Swift to sell makeup ads, or some other nonsense. And no, the White House most definitely did not plant her in a relationship with Travis Kelsey with the hopes of, of, I don't even know what the White House gets out of that. It's really hard for me to even begin to entertain the logic here because I don't see the logic here. And the reason I don't see any logic here is because there is no logic here. And yet here we are. Here the bleep we are. Apparently there is enough here that Patrick Mahomes was asked about it this week in an interview on CNN. I'm not talking about some crazy out there lava flinging podcast in the middle of, I don't know, Nevada, Idaho, Wyoming, Norco, wherever. I'm talking about Patrick Mahomes sitting right up the street inside of Disneyland, looking hungover as hell, seriously having to answer a question on CNN about, well, I'm not even sure because I don't really understand what any of this is actually about. Maybe you can make sense of it, and maybe you can figure it out, and maybe you can tell me exactly where this interviewer was going with this. You might be aware, or maybe maybe not aware, there were some wild conspiracy theories that were flying around this season that, uh, that the Taylor Swift effect was all scripted to allow Taylor to use the Super Bowl for politics, basically. So the president himself, President Biden, kind of got in on the joke 
uh, a little there. What do you make of just how this has spiraled, not just to football, but to politics and all these different areas? Yeah, it's been wild to see. I mean, I try to focus in on football as much as possible, but there's always some conspiracy theories out there. I just try to enjoy football, my family, and uh, I kind of stay off social media as much as possible. You should probably try to stay off CNN as much as possible too, bro. I mean, for real. Miss Teen USA was making more sense. I personally believe... The hell was that? For once, I would even indulge Big Head... And his idol, Rex Lee. I mean, was that a question? Was that a question? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Here's a decent rule. If you're interviewing somebody on national television, if you're confused by your own question, you probably shouldn't be asking it. Because if you don't know what you're asking, how the hell is the person you're interviewing supposed to know? Essentially. If I can try to translate that question, crazy people think crazy things. What do you make of that, Pat? Really productive use of having the three-time Super Bowl MVP on your air. Well done, everybody. Hey, Pat, crazy people, I mean, how would you like to be Pat? Pat, crazy people think crazy things that also completely devalue your biggest professional accomplishments. What do you think of that, Pat? Hey, Pat, people think the moon is made out of cheese. Yo, bro, reaction. Hey, Pat, people are saying, and don't even, who are these people, me? Just people, Pat. People are saying that the moon landing was actually filmed in a studio lot in Burbank, not far from where you're sitting right there, Pat. What do you make of that? Hey, Pat, there are a lot of people out there, including some very prominent NBA players, that think the Earth is flat. Reaction, Patrick. I mean, how do we end up here? Seriously. Somebody connect these dots for me and make it make sense. In fact, don't. Don't do that. I don't want to hear it, kooks. You get enough run as it is. Even though none of you kooks can explain how you script the perfect muffed punt to flip the Super Bowl. And one more thing. Speaking of the script, if the whole thing is script so perfectly, how is it script so perfectly? What with that writer's strike that went on forever and ever and ever and ever? Who wrote the script? And then back to the muff. muff. How do you script the perfect muff that hits a dude in the perfect spot in the ankle from 60 yards away and then takes a perfect bounce right to the returner so he can immediately cough it up. How do you choreograph that, conspiracy theorists? How many times would you have to practice that? Yet, they just did it. In fact, don't answer that because I know you have an answer. I just don't want it. What are we doing here? What are we doing? What are we doing here? What are we talking about and what are we doing? doing And the worst part is, y'all know I used to love a good conspiracy theory. Love a good conspiracy theory. They used to be a blast. (laughs) 
Until the kooks ruin them for everybody. Kook. A good conspiracy is like a good tequila. A lot of fun if used responsibly. Used responsibly, it's the best time ever. But if you slam an entire bottle of Don Julio, then you just black out, and then you get behind the wheel of your car, and you jump a curb, and you drive right into somebody's living room, and then the person there minding his own business says, Billy Joel? Then, then it's not fun. Then you're not doing it right. Then you're just drunk, and you're out of control, and you're a menace to everybody. That's what you conspiracy kooks are like right now. Blackout, drunk, out of control, making no sense, jumping curbs, driving into living rooms, and ruining it for everybody. Kook. And you know what the worst part is? Somehow you kooks are getting over. Somehow you kooks seem to be winning nonetheless. Again, I would say, make it make sense. But I know it doesn't make sense, so I don't need to say it. I already know. It doesn't make any sense. And I know you kooks don't care if it makes no sense. Because you kooks don't operate on logic. That's why the rest of us can't win. Let me tell you, this particular show had a lot more fun at the expense of flat earth truthers. Fake moon landing crusader getting a Buzz Knuckle Sando still entertains me. You're a coward and a liar and a thief. Aliens and UFOs are all things I can get with. Frankly, those aren't even conspiracy theories anymore. That's all true. This thing, though, takes the cake. Zero entertainment value, people. JFK assassination theorists are looking down at you. Patrick could have answered CNN with a terse next question, and I would have been cool with that. The only thing I take exception to is Mahomes saying that he needs to stay away from social media. Uh, I got to stay off social media as much as possible. I don't know about that. I don't know about that, Pat. Do you know how awesome social media is, Pat? You should probably stay away from some of it, but not all of it, especially X. Lots of good things happening over on X. Rethink that, champ. Rethink that, double champ. Rethink that, champ, champ, champ. scripted to allow Taylor to use the Super Bowl Personally believe that some people think I personally believe that I need a timeout right now because I have an interview coming up. Not just to football, but to politics and all these different areas. He is Deshaun Foster. Deshaun, we got a few minutes. Great to have you. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing, man? Good, good, dude. Listen, I got to ask, as a SoCal native who started Tustin High School before becoming one of the greatest players in UCLA history, can you put into words what it means to you to be the head man, the head coach at UCLA? It's the words can't even explain it. You know, that's why I was caught up with so much emotion yesterday. It was just, it's just so surreal, you know. I'm still just trying to take it all in and process it, but, you know, um, it's just an exciting thing. You know, you don't get really get an opportunity to play at a, a great alma mater and then come back and coach there too. So 
I'm just fired up for this opportunity. Glad that they gave it to me, and I'm ready to go. Deshaun Foster joining us. Let me ask you something. A lot of assistant coaches carry a notebook, or maybe they've got something prepared that they store in the the cloud, that they have a plan for what they would do or how they would run a program if they got that opportunity, and they have it ready if and when the opportunity comes. When you got the call, did you have something like that, or was it already stored like in your mental hard drive so you knew what you were going to do? It was already in the middle hard drive. You, you know, you, you, you subconsciously prepare for moments like this, like just think, okay, if I, I would do this, I would do that. Just pulling from a lot of the head coaches I've been under, Chip Kelly, uh, Jim Mora, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, you know, just pulling a lot of stuff that I've been under them. I played for John Fox and uh, Mike Nolan and Mike Singletary. So, you know, I just try to pull on coaches that I, that I played for and um, just try to use the, the things that I, I – I learned from them and, you know, that, that kind of prepared me for this, this opportunity. Yeah, I'm glad you answered like that because I was going to ask you about some of your influences, but you beat me to it. Also, you laid out your three pillars of what you say yeah. will be the foundation of your program. Can you share what mm-hmm. those three are? It's going to be <clears throat> discipline, respect, and enthusiasm, you know. Uh, in this game of ball, you, you, you most definitely have to be disciplined. You know, everybody's talent level is trying to, to, the, to the same level, so – being smart, being a disciplined player actually changes the game and kind of um, separates everybody else. Respect. You always got to respect your teammates, you respect the game, and respect the people that played before you and are going to come after you. And then enthusiasm, you got to have fun, you know. Football turns into a job at the next level. So while you're at this level, let's have some fun and energy and be energetic and just look like you really want to be out on the field. So. I'm just excited to to instill those three things into the whole team like I used to do my running backs. I like that. UCLA head football coach Deshaun Foster joins us. Speaking of enthusiasm, it was a great scene, I thought. When the players were told that you were going to be the next head coach, they mobbed you. They were absolutely hyped. What did that reception mean to you? How good did that feel? That felt great. You know, you you, you really don't know what was going to happen when I came around that corner. and You know, you you always know that the, the, the you had the kid's ear, but you just didn't know to what level and and just seeing that and from the whole team and not just the running back, that, that made me feel good. So I'm pretty excited for this. Deshaun, let me ask you something. You could see evidence of some college coaches getting worn down by the new demands of NIL and the transfer portal. It seems pretty clear, at least from the outside, that the program was not doing enough with NIL. Since the announcement of your hiring, have you felt a renewed commitment from NIL donors? Are they going to step up to the plate for you? Yes, they're going to step up to the plate for me. I've gotten a lot of support, a lot of messages um, at the press conference, people coming up, letting me know I'm here, just asking me, I, I, I want to help. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to ask, and we're going to get this going. Let me ask something really quickly. You have to fill out your staff, obviously. How would you describe the offensive philosophy that you're going to have, and what are you looking for in an offensive coordinator specifically? Just somebody that's a leader, you know, a, a, a strong figure that can really get out there and carry this offense. You know, um, I, it has to be somebody that I, don't, I can't micromanage. I can't be doing it because I have to get on the defense side of the field. You know, being an offensive coach, I really have to let these guys know that I'm the head coach now. That It has to look different. It can't look the same, you know. So I'm just uh, – it's going to be somebody that's very experienced, um, has well knowledge in the game, and somebody that can teach these young men to be successful. He is one of UCLA's all-time star players. Not only that, did play seven years in the NFL as well. UCLA opens up the season August 31st at Hawaii. Their new head coach is Deshaun Foster. Deshaun, congrats on that. Great to have you on the show. Thank you very much, man. Good luck. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate you.
in Dallas. Jason, good to have you. What's up? Hey, Ron. What's going on, man? What's up, dude? Hey, listen, I got a good conspiracy theory for you. Dave and Tustin Wrench, that Nimrod clone who tried to call three times the other day and did. Doesn't he sound a lot like Paul's dog? Just, just, just curious. Um, and I've had the privilege of being able to watch Patrick Mahomes play in high school up until his NFL career. He's done this his whole time, his whole career. He just, he just, he's just a good guy. And as far as for 49er clones and 49er players, didn't the referee tell you what the rule was at halftime before the coin flip? Come on. You don't know the rule? It's like the clones don't know the rule of the jungle. Don't self-gloss. Get in, get out on the B segment, and don't tell you your age. Rome, I love you. I've been listening for over 20 years. I'm out. My man, rack him. Big D. Rack him. There's a winner in Dallas. Good night now.